Hey, y'all, we want to take a second here to go ahead and give a shout out to our favorite mortgage lender and the official lender of the Hunt Lift Eat podcast. That's Casey Burns. He's a mortgage broker with Prime Lending. I bought my house here in Colorado with Casey and I refinanced the property in Tennessee. And I was going to use Casey for that because I had such a great experience. And Casey told me, hey, man, like I'll be straight up with you. I can't. I can't match this other offer. So go with these other guys. Well, I went with those other guys and I regretted it. It was like a three month process for the refi. When I, when I bought my house here in Colorado, it was the easiest transaction for real estate I've ever had in my life. He handles everything. Like he has the heart of an educator, the heart of a teacher. And that's why we recommend him. I've known him for 10 years. I was best friends with his brother in college. I'm still good friends with Casey to this day. And we, we recommend him because of how good he is. So if you want to utilize Casey, give him a call, find out any information. Give him a shout at 919-710-1864. Or you can also reach him at email at casey.burns at primelending.com. And also go check out his website. Get all of his reviews at www.closewithkc.com. Thanks, y'all. That's good. We're recording now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt with D podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke, here today. I got Jesus Christ. I got Carter co-hosting today. And we've got a couple special guests, uh, three actually. And we'll just kind of run around the horn. You guys can all introduce yourselves. John, why don't you open us up? Yeah, my name is uh, Jonathan Lippitt. I'm a family friend of, of Carter's. We, we go way back. Uh, I'm Canadian, so I'm adding some international flavor to the podcast today. Uh, relatively new hunter, but uh, have thrown myself in the deep end with these fellas recently, uh, which we're going to unpack today. Am I next? I'm next on my on my end, so I'm going to go next. Carter McKenzie, I'm gunning for uh, Perry's position here as co-host. Uh, plan on knocking it out of the park, so Perry doesn't have a job anymore because fuck Perry. It's a pretty low bar that he set, so just the fact that you showed up kind of puts you as a front runner for that gig. I like don't even remember what he looks like anymore. So yeah, hey, good evening, uh, boys. Uh, Cole Reed, uh, just like Jonathan, pretty new to hunting uh, in general. Um, you know, this this is uh, just something that I've I never grew up with, uh, and and I hope there's uh, some other folk out there like that. But um, pretty new to hunting. Uh, tell you boys, as you already know, I'm from the Northern Virginia area, but recently moved to Greenville, South Carolina. That's uh, where myself and and my cohabitant are now living, uh, and and look forward to a great talk. All right, Timmy Marsh, take it home. Hey, my name's Tim Marsh. Um, I'm currently a Wyoming resident. Um, came all the way out here from Georgia. Carter and I were roommates back in college. Um, that's where my hunting journey started. Um, I met Luke a couple times at the homestead. And um, I went from tree stand hunting, whitetail, to kind of big west hunting out here in Wyoming. So far, it's been great. Yeah, so the four or five of us, excuse me, we're all shared a camp together on this last uh, Wyoming trip that those that follow uh, me on Instagram probably followed along with for some of the ups and downs. And then I kind of went uh, radio silent there after a while because it started pouring rain. And then the hunt just kept getting worse and worse. And I just felt less and less motivated to document what was going on. But we can unpack a little bit of that. But uh, Carter, why don't you give us a little bit of backstory on this camp? Uh, you know, Definitely not where it is because it's crowded enough. But just kind of let everybody know how you got associated with it. And then you invited me last year. And then, you, you know, we expanded uh, this year, made it even bigger. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the third time I've been a part of this camp um, located in the uh, undisclosed location of 
what did we say? Northern California, Northern California. That's where we were. Downtown Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Downtown, downtown LA hunting the, uh, elusive, uh, mule deer this time. Um, and this is my third time being in this camp, uh, got invited, um, out there by now a good friend and someone who uh, has become my kind of Western hunting mentor, uh, Jake Hacker. Um, his, his handle on Instagram is survived the hunt. Really, really fantastic guy. Incredibly generous with his time, uh, and his knowledge and really kind of, I actually met him on a, on a hunting forum online and he invited, uh, me and Spencer Benfield out there to hunt antelope for the first time when we didn't know what we were doing and, um, just hit it off. And, it, uh, it's been a really great friendship, uh, ever since then. And he's kind of a more the merrier kind of guy, uh, which is amazing because he's so willing to share tips and tactics and spots on onyx and oh you should go here you should go here you should check this out just like unbelievably generous in a world where there can be a bit of gate gatekeeping uh associated with getting into western hunting so uh incredibly incredibly thankful for for his friendship and bringing us out there this time um so this third third year uh we went out there with five uh five buck tags five mule deer buck tags and I think the, uh, the, what was the, what was the theme of the trip, Tim? What, what was our mantra? <laughs> it was, you gotta be 5% better. <laughs> 5% uh, better was the name of the game every day. We had a really, really, really rough hunt. Um, but the difference between us getting one deer down and, and four was probably the difference of being 5% better. So, yeah. Yeah, really tough trip, but lessons learned for sure. Oh yeah, I can definitely uh definitely relate and empathize to that five percent better. That's been my entire fucking hunting season this year. The difference between the best season of your life and killing nothing is like it's a it's a game of inches for for sure. But I mean that's why it's hunting, that's why you ride these highs and you ride I mean it the all these lows make the highs that much better. And like you guys just get into it. We'll feel it. Cause it's hard. It can get discouraging. Cause you see all these highlight reels on Instagram and shit, right? You see all these guys with these fucking, uh, huge trophy animals. And there's some guys that go out and they, they pay for the guy. There's nothing wrong with that. And they kind of do the fast pass to, to that level of animal. And there's the guys that go and they do it day in and day out and put in the time. And what you don't see on them is, Every tag they've eaten, all the hours they fucking sucked, the times they've missed, bumped their rifles, you know, fucked up, spooked the animal at the last minute, you know, all that stuff. You know, we're looking at their feet instead of looking up, like all the stuff that like everything that happened to us on this trip happens to everybody. And it, I know that like I was in my head pretty bad um, and it was pretty frustrated, but like kind of got to a piece or a place of like Nirvana there a little later and just realized like, Hey, this happens to everybody. It's part of the process. It's part of growing. And just because like you think you're at an experience level, like all those mistakes still happen. So um, definitely don't get discouraged for you new guys. Cause it's, it's a fucking nut roll and there's just a lot of bullshit in the social media sp uh, sphere and the space and with what we see, it's not reality. Like the reality is that these animals are on the fucking, like they've got a, you know, hundred thousand years of evolutionary biology driving their will to survive. And then they're high pressured dealing with every other dipshit out there in orange. So they're conditioned. Uh, and then all the dumb ones have already been killed. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we dive into unpacking this hunt, um, 
would you guys mind giving us a little background and your kind of intro to hunting and, and your experience thus far? I know I've had the pleasure of hunting with most of you <laughs> uh, uh, many times already, but uh, John, you want to kick us off and tell us about your kind of background? Yeah, I mean, I've hunted with Carter. So like I said, a, a Canadian, um, but I spent my Thanksgiving down there in November um, with, with family. So, you know, I, I spent many a Thanksgiving morning uh out in the deer stand with carter you know going back years and years but my hunting journey started in earnest about two years ago um you know covid changing you know uh, really every paradigm in everybody's life work play um you know found myself at home um and started asking myself some pretty big questions um about a lot of things you know, what kind of man I wanted to be. Um, but also questions around like, you know, foundational things, like where do I get my food from? Um, and, you know, being a pretty physical athletic individual, you know, grappling with this question, it sort of dawned on me that like really the most ethically consistent way to source my protein is to go out and get it my damn self. Um, you know, that co-mixed with, you know, other questions around, um, you know, uh, you know, as I said, sort of becoming a man and reading a book uh, by a, a gentleman by the name of Michael Easter. Some of your, your listeners might be familiar with this book, Luke. It's called The Comfort Crisis. So this idea of, of you know, uh, modern infrastructure of safety, um, sort of perpetuating uh, a lifestyle of uh, softness, for, for, for lack of a better word, um, and this idea that throughout history, young men have been thrown into situations, uh, trials, where they've uh, sort of had to prove themselves. And, and I sort of started to ask myself, how can I recreate this situation? And so I thought, you know, to hell with it. I'm going to grab a bow and arrow. I'm going to go hunt bears. Um, and that's, it might sound a bit overdramatic, but I did. And it changed my damn life. Um, that was about a year and a half ago. And I haven't looked back. Um, I've been hitting it hard spring and fall up here. Um, I'm sure most folks know we have great hunting in Canada. Um, and it's sort of changed my whole paradigm, man, about how I view life, how I view, you know, my interactions, just going to the grocery store, you know, and, and uh, I've been having a lot of interesting discussions with folks and uh, I don't come from a hunting background, but I can honestly say the last two years have been um, pretty life-changing and uh, my foot's on the gas pedal, man, and, and I'm not slowing down. What about you, Cole? Kind of fill us in. I know your journey has been uh, recent as well, kind of getting into it. So kind of give us uh, your backstory in the hunting. Yeah. So my, my backstory in hunting is uh, it, it only dates back to 2019. Um, and, and this is when, uh, I had reached out to Carter, uh, you know, Carter and I met at, at North Georgia and, and I just expressed this interest of saying, Hey, I think I kind of want to do this. I wasn't really sure. Um, cause my exposure to hunting at that point was, was nothing. I, I, I don't come from a hunting background. I don't come from a hunting family. Uh, the most I ever heard about it was, uh, when I first got to North Georgia back in, uh, 2011, I didn't know that the first day of like the opening day of deer season was like a holiday down there. 
you know? So like when people weren't showing up to class, I was like, where, where the hell is everybody? And they're like, Oh, it's, it's opening day. And I didn't know that. Um, but brand new, I, I've only hunted exclusively with Carter up until this, this Western hunt. Uh, you know, he's been, been my mentor, my guide, uh, through whitetail. And so all I've, all, all I've hunted is Georgia whitetail, uh, mostly just, you know, sitting in the stand or sitting on the, the back property of Carter's, uh, homestead. And so in 2019, I, I was fortunate enough for, for Carter to take me out and I had killed my first spike. Uh, and I still have the antlers hanging up in the garage to this day on a Euro mount. I mean, I, I look at it, it just brings back this story, but, I I, I've never really shot a powerful rifle at that time, you know, a big game rifle of any sort. Um, but after that first shot and, and taking the deer and, and learning how to, you know, process the meat ourselves, I mean, we were hanging it in Carter's, uh, on Carter's property. And I mean, taking it little by little and boy, that, that was such a process, but I was so, uh, grateful to learn how to do it and, and to take that meat and bring it into my home. And, and I shared it like it was, you know, Christmas day, you know, all around my family and, and friends. But, um, so it, it really just started in 2019 at exclusively whitetail. Uh, and, and my journey is just so young, uh, especially with this hunt going out West. This was just a, a huge step, I think, in such a young, uh, career, uh, or a young, um, you know, hobby, uh, of whatever you want to call it. It's, it was huge, uh, only two years into this. Um, but it, it was just the greatest of times. So my, my story is not very long and, and I'm hoping to add a, a couple more pages, you know, a couple more years into it. And, uh, I, I would love to, uh, you know, hear more stories about young hunters, especially older ones. You know, I didn't start until I was, you know, 25. Uh, and, and I feel like most people who are in the hunting community start at such a young age. It's almost like a birthright for some people. Um, but that's, that's kind of my story and my background. Shout out to my crappy dog that ate your inside tenderloins when we were Dude, <laughs> cleaning God. <laughs> yeah, and Carter the whole time is saying, man, I can't wait for you to eat this, this inside tenderloin. I can't wait. I can't wait. And then Boone comes up and jumps on the damn table and eats the tendy and runs off. <laughs> and and I didn't get to eat, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a tenderloin until the following year when I had to kill another deer and and get to it. So yeah, shout out, shout out to Boone for stealing my tendies on my first deer. Yeah, that was almost his last day on earth, man. Right, That's Tim. good shit, man. Oh my bad. But yeah, Tim, yeah, go ahead and uh fill us in on, on your story. I know you got into hunting a little bit before these guys, but still kind of an adult onset thing mm-hmm. yeah very much so i mean i started yeah, i started probably when i was a freshman in college um and a lot of it was in i think as cole mentioned like in north georgia it's either you're hunting or you're hiking like those are your two recreations um and north georgia has a phenomenal whitetail population and it's got a great turkey population as well so those are kind of the two main two main species that you target Um, I worked on a farm starting my freshman year and my senior or junior year, the guy that owned the farm gave me hunting permissions along with his sons, um, to hunt that property. Um, so I think Carter and I hung up a deer stand in just one of his backfields and that's where I've done the majority of my hunting. And it was, I mean, all purely whitetail. We've 
um, we've gone turkey hunting a couple times there. I don't think we've been successful once, not on Skipper's place, maybe on Ed's. But it was, yeah, it was relatively recent. My dad never really hunted. My grandfather did, but it was kind of before my time. He hung it up um, before I kind of came of age. And so like these other two guys, Carter was the one that really kind of exposed me to it. And then having that in North Georgia, having property that you're allowed to hunt on is huge. There's, I think three sisters was the only piece of public land in Dahlonega. And it was, it was a long stretch, but it was probably a mile wide and you had to drive acres upon acres upon acres to get back past all the other hunters that all they have access to is this one little sliver of public land. So it's all, it's all farms. It's all who, you know, and so Skipper giving me permission on his farm my junior year, that's really when it kind of took off. See, that's all good stuff because I think that, um, actually I know because I get the messages that there's a, there's a lot of our listeners that can, uh, probably kind of can identify with you guys because they're either get, getting into hunting now later in life or they're haven't, they still haven't hunted and they're trying to figure out the start. And, um, I've had a lot of people say that this podcast has, has inspired them to get into hunting or to get back into hunting. Uh, maybe they hunted a little bit as a kid or whatever. So it's, it's cool to have y'all's perspectives. Um, cause I, I take it for granted. I mean, I grew up around hunting. I started hunting when I was like 16. I actually didn't kill anything until a little bit later in life. Cause I didn't really have a hunting mentor per se. Cause my old man was gone all the time. <clears throat> and so I kind of just wandered around the woods, but it is something that I've been around. And then I had the, the family land as well. So the access was there for me. And, but I actually think that that stunted me as a hunter because I didn't actually truly learn to hunt until probably I'm still learning to hunt. Like I, I the last three, four years have been exponential in my development and like actually understanding animals and animal behavior. And so you guys, by starting out in different areas, hunting public land, hunting different species, you guys are going to have like a, a it's going to be probably a slower learning curve, but it's going to be that much better. And you guys are going to learn that much more because like animals generally act in the same manner uh, with, with some little nuances, but, and that's something I've really learned is like, if you just learned how to pay attention to, you know, food, water, and then cover and use it for every topography and learn how to use and read that topography, it's going to be fucking game changing. And I didn't, I didn't know that growing up. So, um, I'm really excited to see you guys going forward too. Yeah. I mean, that resonates like it really, really does. I, and, and it's something I've been thinking about a fair amount lately. I, I mean, I, I see this as, sort of a lifelong journey, but I do feel like I'm, I've gotten over heading into my third season of whitetail hunting. Now, uh, I do feel like I've gotten past like the hardest parts of that initial barrier to entry, but God damn, this is a high barrier to entry. Like if you're not born into a hunting family, you know, just gear alone and land access. I mean, for me, even where I am, which, you know, we're blessed with so much public land up in Canada. I mean, God, like I could, the stories of just, you know, last year, even just getting chased off properties, you know, I'm, I'm on public land inside, uh, you know, uh, legal uh, hunting season, but I have some old timer in his F-150 chase me through the forest, uh, you know, trying to push me out, hollering at me, calling me a poacher and like, you know, farmers coming out with their shotguns because I'm walking through their, what they believe to be their property, but it's just parallel to public. And, but looking back on it now, I do see that as sort of the tuition, like you got to pay that price of tuition. And and maybe if, you know, you have a father or an uncle or a brother that can show you that path. I mean, that is so valuable. Um, and it could have saved me a lot of that heartache 
you know, it could have saved me from buying the gimmicky gear bullshit, you know, following for following, you know, for the, the sales techniques and, but, you know, looking back on it, I don't regret it. And so, but I do think it's important for, for guys that don't push through, like to hear that, you know, you know, once you get past that, like this is a deeply rewarding way to spend your time. Um, but I do think there is a winnowing process like of folks that probably bow out because they get discouraged. If you're not born into a hunting family, which I'm certainly not, um, man, high barrier to entry. If you want to learn how to do almost anything in life, if you want to learn how to ski, if you want to learn how to snowboard, shoot, so like throw a fucking baseball, like you can pay somebody to teach you how to do any of these things. Yeah. Where the hell do you go get hunting lessons? You know, like you've got podcasts, you've got YouTube, you've got a lot of information, but it is very hard to take those lessons, conceptualize them, and then apply them to uh, the woods. Uh, it just is. You have to get out there and you got to wander around and you got to make the mistakes and see, you've got to watch. And like, unless you have somebody on the ground teaching you, it's a very, it's a much slower process, yeah. you know? And I think there's kind of a progression. Like for me, <clears throat> I hunted on like solely my family farm through most of my life. And it was, I came home from my second deployment. And after missing hunting season was just like, I'm going to take advantage of every opportunity I have to hunt. I'm not just going to wait for rifle season back in Virginia. And so I bought a, you couldn't hunt with anything but a bow or a shotgun on, at a Fort Campbell. So I bought a bow, I bought a shotgun, I mean a muzzleloader and I bought a muzzleloader. And I just like, actually I didn't buy a muzzleloader. I just bought a shotgun and a, a bow and went full bore. So I was like hunting public land with a bow all for the first time and got my ass kicked. I hunted that harder that year than I ever have killed a doe and it was like the fucking i was so excited like shooting this doe with my bow like typewriter leg i was shaking like a little bitch like it was awesome um and that's the progression right and so like now like i'm i feel very confident i can go into pretty much any whitetail habitat and i'll be on deer so what's next okay now i need to get closer to bucks and that's what i've been really focusing on is learning how to get like what are the mature deer doing because you see it with pretty much any, any animals, but there's a big difference from like two and a half to three and a half to four and a half. It's like a different species of animal. Um, and so as you try to get those more mature animals and like, you know, this year I got the closest I've ever been to a, a nice 10 point buck. I was 20 yards away and then fucked it up. I think I already told that story, but uh, you know, it's, you start to get through that progression and you know, there is, you got to make those mistakes and you got to have the, the heartbreak to like get to the other side of it. You got to blow. I mean, I don't know how many times I've been busted by deer with my bow. Um, but once you get through all that and you, you learn and you start paying attention to the, all the little things, the wind, you know, what's the thermals doing? What's you know, every little thing. Um, and then you're still fucking up. Like the best hunters in the world still fuck it up. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. It's like, you don't even want it to be easy. Right. Cause you wouldn't change that for a thing. Right. It's it, if it was easy, you wouldn't have been paying that tuition. Yeah. I mean, if it was easy, like it would be super fun, like the first time or two, and then you wouldn't do it again. Like it's the heartbreak and the, the angst and the, the fucking bullshit where you're like, this is terrible. I can't tell you how many times I've quit hunting, like in my head. Like, I'm like, I'm fucking done. Like Carter and I were talking after this Wyoming hunt when I, I mean, we can get to the story later, but when I had my fucking mishap with the antelope and we were both just sitting there and we were like, I think I'm done hunting for a while. Like, but sure enough, I come home and I didn't hunt for a weekend and I was like wanting to get back out this weekend. I'm going down to Texas for a hunt this coming weekend. Like, you know, it, it comes, you know, it, it, like anything else, it comes back. 
uh, I guess, at least for me, it does the fire. But yeah, it you get some fucking lows, but the highs wouldn't be near as good. Yeah, after my little snafu on this trip, I uh, I was ready to sell all my hunting gear and take up like puzzles or crocheting or some shit. I was I haven't been able to sleep. That's all I can think about twenty four seven. And then uh, I think I texted you a couple of days ago, Luke, and I was like, after two weeks of you know introspection, it was a pretty good trip. I want I can't wait to go back. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's just like these highs and lows. But like those those lessons, like where do you get like hunting lessons right and like this trip is a perfect example of that right so this is like my first time eating tag soup out west i've been very fortunate uh killed a nice muley last year because luke made it stand up behind a bush and i blasted it um very fortunate so i was i was due for some some humble piles i was feeling pretty good about myself big bad hunter um but man i feel like we just learned stuff every single day like the four of us all hunting together yeah um we just learned and learned and it got better and it got better and we had plenty of opportunities and you know, that's invaluable. And then the next time, you know, we'll capitalize. Right. Well, and you know, we're hunting, we're hunting an opportunity unit in Wyoming. And so like these tags are not that hard to draw. You can draw it on no point. I drew it on no points this year and there is a healthy, healthy deer population in this unit. It's bucks only, so there's does everywhere. But the bucks are so fucking pressured. Um, and finding them, and it's all checkerboard public, like most of Wyoming is. And and so you're hunting, like that was that was something that's been a big adjustment to me coming from Colorado, going to Wyoming and Colorado. I'm used to these big tracks of public. Even in the east where they're smaller, it'll be eight thousand acres. Up there you can be hunting literally like a forty eight acre track where you can walk the whole thing in a few minutes and see all there is to see. And so you're just hunting these smaller parcels and it's, it's just a lot to me. It's a lot more frustrating. I, I forgot before this season, how annoying it is. Cause you just spend a lot of time in the truck jumping from parcel to parcel. Um, but there's something that kind of fun about that too, cause you're, you're all over the place, but these animals are so pressured. And that was like the one thing, you know, kind of telling, I can jump into my first mishap, which, and those that follow the Instagram, you know, heard all this already, but I thought, I, last year I felt like my Carter and I, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. Carter, I don't want to speak for you, but I don't think you did. Like, I felt like we were just bumbling around the whole time, like just trying to look for deer. Yeah, we found we one ridge that consistently had deer and we just kept going back there, um, hoping to catch him on, on public. And we finally caught that one when you killed him. But like, for the most part, like we didn't really know what we were doing. And so <clears throat> I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to research more and pay more attention to like, how do these bucks move and then doing the e-scouting and, and there's this big, these big ag fields along this river corridor and you know ag is a huge attractant for pretty much all animals and so at night in the evenings you'd see 40 50 60 100 does down in these fields and no horns and so i'm thinking like they got to be coming out after dark if they're coming out after dark they're bedding close and i started backwards planning from there and then picking out along the blm ground or the public land and started marking where I thought bedding would be. And I found this Canyon and I started walking this Canyon on long story short, I was trying to be very deliberate, wind in my face, going very slow, glassing step, glass, step, glass, step, very quiet, like going excruciatingly slow through all these fingers. And I came across this big evergreen bush and uh, thought to myself, there's a buck in there, took another step and huge crack fucking 
just buck busts out of this bush. And uh, all I saw was just horns. I mean, he was the biggest mule deer I've seen in this unit by far. And uh, <laughs> threw my rifle up to shoot him and then uh, left the safety on, which is just mind numbing to me because I've killed a lot of animals with a rifle. And I literally had the conversation with myself as I was like clearing, like, should I take the safety off? I'm like, Oh no, no, no. You're, you know what you're doing. You're going to flip that. You're not going to freak out. Fucking you see horns like that. I just, my brain turned off. And uh, so I left the safety on. Then he, you know, kept running, flipped it up, finally flipped it off. All I had was his ass and his back of his neck shot at the back of his neck and missed. I thought I just cleaned mist and I, I'm talk about that later, but I was just heartbroken. I mean, I was just <laughs> fucking, you talk about deflating, like did everything right up to the point of execution. And just like, I sat there just like, sit. I was nauseous for, I mean, I'm still kind of nauseous about it in hindsight. Um, and that was before we'd even gotten there. We were still in Denver. Yeah. And this, is, uh, this is unfolding. I My bag is on some shitty southwest plane that didn't even make our flight that we're sitting in denver waiting cole and i are waiting for john's being held at gunpoint by the atf trying to cross the damn border with whatever nonsense he had going on like our trip was falling apart and you had already been heartbroken (laughs) dude it was i mean you know your mind races when you all that happens that quickly you know and i I think as soon as I heard that crash, like before I saw him come out of the bush, when he just like stood up, my mind was racing to these grand ideas of having fucking you guys showing up with roasted. I got a heart on the grill. I've got tenderloins. We got some backstrap going. I got a fucking, you know, I'm boiling the skull. Like we got things going on. (laughs) Maybe I should have focused on taking the fucking safety off, but you know, um, Turns out it wouldn't have mattered because my rifle was off, but I found that out the hard way later as well. But it, it was just one of those things where there, I don't even remember where I started going with this, to be honest. But, you know, back to what we we're talking about with the progression from last year to this year, I actually had a plan. I knew what I was doing. To, I mean, I didn't really know, but I was, it was a, you know, educated guest, but I like, I got a proof of concept and it worked. And, uh, and then, I mean, Carter, I mean, you applied a similar tactic and, it almost paid off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it was it was that close. I mean, literally, game of inches. Uh, but we were doing the same thing. I mean, we can and we can unpack these highs and lows a little more. But mine very quickly. I don't want to talk about it too long because it makes me very sad. But <clears throat> uh, we found some bucks early, early morning driving to a spot we were going to go glass and we were going to go glass a spot where we were going to be for the majority of the day, uh, a kind of Canyon where you, you need to sit, spend hours and hours glassing every nook and cranny. Um, and uh, within minutes of leaving camp, we were passing by an ag field on the left and I saw some deer on a short uh, little shallow kind of Ridge on the right side of the road. And I was like, antlers, antlers. And I'm driving the rental car way too fast down the road. And, Tim perks up and he grabs his rifle and I, I'm like, how many are these? Like, there's, there's like three of them. There's three of them. I'm like <laughs> about to tell him to you know, jump out the window and take a shot at these things. Uh, and we whip it around in the middle of the road. I'm like, get your gear. Like we're getting out of here. We rip it back to the public and pull over and 
get out and put a stock on these things. And there were three really nice bucks, or decent, really nice for that unit, decent uh, mule deer, three by threes and a small four by four. And uh, anyways, how long did we spend? Like, how long was that walk, Timber Cole? It was longer than I thought. It was maybe 30 minutes. I didn't think it was that long. It was, it was pretty jump out the truck, start hoofing it. Yeah. And then uh, once you got within, I don't know, 500 yards, you kind of were a little more deliberate and started slowing things down. But it, it wasn't very long at all from, from the time you whipped the truck, hit some sagebrush on the side of the road, and threw <laughs> that thing in park. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was some, somewhere between 30 minutes and an hour because I drove by as you guys were pulling a Yui, and I saw the, the Bucks too. And then I mean, I let you guys go do your thing. And then when you texted me, Carter, I was back where you shot yours last year. I was on a Buck, but he was on the private side. I was watching him, and I was like – I was because I was fucking stoked as hell. I was like, we're about to have all these deer down, you know, like same thing. But. I, I wanted the I, – I covet the quintessential like – I want the cleaned skulls lined up on the outside of the tent. Mm. I covet that picture, that image so badly. I had already counted this buck as as good as down. And uh, things we we scrambled a bit, and I was a bit. Uh, my gear was everywhere. I had my rangefinder like in my in, like in my cargo pocket on my pants, and like my binos are bouncing everywhere. It was a bit of a should have slowed down, taken a breath done a gear check but think about after him. think about how many opportunities we have like if there's a theme of that yeah, exactly hunt, yeah i mean you started this podcast off by saying like five percent better yeah i mean young guys you know for the most part our hunting age is, is pretty young as well and it's like the margin of error is so small and we all had opportunities on yeah. amazing animals and so I mean, I, I feel like we kept pretty positive about it, right? I mean, you, Luke, you as well. Like, we all talked about it at the campfire, at, at the, the camp each night. It's like, this is all good. It's all positive, right? Like, next time we'll be better. So, man, that, that, that you know, that scene is coming with the big, Right, you know, if you hunt long enough, it will happen to, to everybody, unfortunately. So I ended up taking a shot. I ranged my buck at 300, but he was actually at 200, so I shot, I shot high. Uh, wounded him, had the worst blood trail I've ever seen in my life. Tim and Cole were both behind me. I don't know how far, 50 yards. I was probably 20 feet behind you. Okay. And they were looking at him and they saw him do the classic mule deer kick. And I was like, oh my gosh, smoked him. Like we got a deer down. And then we spent three hours looking for him. And like Luke was saying, with those small pieces of, of public, you're you're really hemmed in by how much you can actually do. And so yeah. he, he, I grazed him, and he took off into <laughs> the next county. He was he was out of there. Um, and then I went back that evening and looked for four more hours for him. Uh, no go, non lethal shot. Just absolutely sick about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's rough, man. I mean, if you hunt long enough, it's going to happen. Um, I mean, we'll fast forward just while we're on the subject because I, I had the same thing happen with uh, my antelope. And so 
uh, fast forward, it was the second to my last plan day being there and was driving up to an area to go antelope hunting that I hadn't been to yet. So I had an antelope, uh, either sex tag. <clears throat> and as I was driving, I stopped at this one little pe- smaller piece of public and I saw an antelope doe from the road, um, on the public and probably, I think I ranged her at like 370 from the road. So I parked and like crawled down, low crawled in. I got 220. It's on the bipod shot. Nothing like clean miss. Like she didn't even move. Didn't flinch. It's like, what the fuck? Racked another round shot again. Same thing. And like my <clears throat> clearance, like, cause I was low crawling. Like I, you know, I had my sight picture of her, like over the, the intervisibility line, uh, which is like the, the train in front of me wasn't super high. So I thought maybe my sight overboard, like maybe I was shooting the dirt. It was the only thing I could think was going on. I just couldn't tell. So I low crawled like 140 and I shot, dropped her. and was like, Oh, fucking done. Dead antelope. I texted Carter, like dead antelope. So I, I was like, going to bring, like, throw her in the truck gutter, put her under the trailer. So she stays cool and then go hunt mule deer. And, uh, I see her crawling like front legs, ass down. I was like, fuck did I spine her? Like what is going on? And so I, I kind of felt bad if I spined her, like I want to put her down quick. So I rolled up, uh, on her pretty quickly. And she had kind of bedded down and was looking up at me and I got to 20 yards, 20, 30 yards and th- she threw the rifle up the shooter in the head and clean mess. And I was like, what is going on? And at that point she got up and took off like limping, but like trotting away. And this is a, not a very big piece of public. And so I was like, son of a bitch. And at this point, I think I had one round left. And so I racked cause I shot. Yeah. I think I had five rounds total. So I just shot four, I had five, one round left. And like, I'm like, what is going on? And then I saw her when she turned and I hit her super high up on the back. And so I'm like, damn, I'm hitting high. Cause like, there's no way I missed that many times. Like if I, I mean, I'm not going to say I've never missed a shot, but like if on a bipod miss once, like aim again, like I'm just not going to miss like that. And so I was like, what is going on? And this, at this point I like tried to conduct you windage and shoot low, but I missed her again. And now I'm like out of rounds and I just kind of followed her and Carter ended up bringing me another rifle. And at this point I'm actually on the private. I'd crossed the line trying to like get after her cause I didn't want to lose this animal, but Wyoming you're supposed to contact uh, DOW but it was a Sunday and so like they're not open so it's like this whole fucking pain in the ass Carter brought me the rifle but we decided it was just better to back out and not shoot an animal on private land but it was just like fucking heartbreaking at that point I was like I'm done so I just called the hunt and fucking punched the tag and just rolled because I was like I can't I mean it's fucking terrible turns out I re-zeroed my rifle yesterday I was high as shit so I don't I confirmed zero on the rifle Wednesday when I got there or Thursday morning when I woke up after getting there and I was an inch high at a hundred, which is where it was supposed to be. And then some point I either bumped the scope or more likely, I think what happened was I just in and out of the truck so many times I just bumped the, the turrets because they're open turrets and I just twisted the turrets because my windage didn't adjust, was still dead on. It was just my elevation. So um, I took pictures of my turrets this time after I got my zero. So that would be something that I checked. That was a lesson learned. And I'm actually going to install my zero stops. And that's something that I would suggest for anybody who's running open turrets is uh, install your zero stops. I didn't do it because I was lazy and you need to. Yeah, that was, <laughs> you were pretty frustrated after that one too. Like you and I were, <laughs> we had our poopy faces on for sure. Dude, I was in a bad spot after that. Like, <clears throat> I mean, I used to really internalize and feel like I wouldn't want to hunt for the rest of the season if I lost an animal. Like, and I, I've just kind of gotten past that. 
Um, cause I just understand like, look, it's part of life. Like these animals die. They have very short life expectancies and like, it's not a rationalization. It's just a fact like nature sucks. And like, like these things are going to die quickly. And, and if we are putting ourselves into this sphere, into inserting ourselves into this like order of natural selection, there's going to be some mistakes. Like not every wolf gets a clean kill. Like we're doing the same thing. And so we've just got to accept that that's part of it. And just drive on um, because I, I did, I used to, it used to really fucking bother me. Like I wouldn't hunt for like two, three weeks after it. Now I can kind of get past it a little quicker. It still sucks. And like, don't get me wrong. Um, but I did, I, I felt like shit. I mean, it's miserable to lose them. Like, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I hit her high and like, at first she dropped, I think what I did was I hit her like through the back strap and it probably hit like one of the spines on the vertebrae. And so it stunned her and that's why it looked like I spined her. But then it seemed like she got more and more mobility as time went on. And so I'm hoping she lived, but I don't, I don't fucking know. Tim and John, why don't you guys walk us through your, your kind of encounter that you had with your mule deer, which is probably the least tragic out of Luke and I's uh, animal encounters. Which one, the time that John was successful or the time we were up in the boonies? <laughs> Let's mountain? do the, the unsuccessful one. Let's start we can... with the one in the boonies first. The one thing I will say, because Tim, I want you to tell a story, but even though I was successful on that last one, that first day, first full day for me where we had these encounters, that's probably the best day of my hunt. Like for me, it really is about those wildlife encounters. And this one was about as rich as it gets. That was a great day of hunting. I mean, we, we hunted hard and we all came home empty handed, but damn, what a great day. Yeah, absolutely. Set the stage for us, Tim. So or the Cole, stage for Cole, us you is... need to tell this one. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy whose camp we were in, he said, so like, like Luke was saying, this is a very high pressure unit. There's a lot of hunters and 80% of the deer are shot within 800 meters of the road just because it's, yeah, it's a checkerboard to cover a lot of ground. You hunt from your car and going into this, which Luke gave us plenty of shit for, we were like, we want the quintessential backcountry hunt. So we had delusions of grandeur that we we're going to spike camp up in the foothills of these mountains. And the, the guy whose camp we were in, he was like, Oh, like, well, we'll drop you a waypoint. Like there's this great spot that you can go camp. Um, it's like a pretty hellish hike, but like, it's not that far. Like y'all will be able to do it. Um, and so we drive back there and we start hiking and it's, we get out of the truck within 10 meters. There's a 50 foot ravine that we have to cross. And that was the first of about four ravines that we had to cross. And so we're, we're looking on Onyx and we're a quarter of a way to like the moderately difficult hike to the camping spot. And there's no way that we're going to make it there. Like it's, it's far, it's a long way up, but the benefit of it is there were, we didn't see a single person. We had left everybody back at the road. There wasn't a single person that's going to be willing to cross these ravines, um, to get to kind of this, this sweet, basically Valley opening that there's a ton of sign. Um, we're definitely moving in the right direction. I think after our third or fourth ravine crossing, we find a massive like bed. Um, and we're like, all right, like there's some, there's some monsters around here. Like this is exactly where they need to be. 
so there are four of us like hiking through the woods. We're making a lot of noise. Um, John's out front leading us and freezes up, stops. And he's like, Hey, like there's their, their mule deer moving in front of us. Um, so we kind of stop, formulate a plan and we end up just trying to follow him because this is, I mean, it's day two or three of the hunt or it's the second day of the hunt. And we're like, all right, like getting a little bit of action. We're excited. Um, let's push on after these. We get to a pretty good clearing where we leave Carter and Cole to glass and we make a plan to kind of like loop around and almost do like a impromptu like deer drive. Cause if John and I can circle these things, we can hopefully push them like back through this clearing where Cole and Carter are going to have a really nice shot on them. Like from their vantage point, they can see almost the entire like Valley opening up in front of us. And so, I mean, moving around, Jonathan and I decided to like split up, like we can cover a little more ground, get a little more like visibility. And what do you see next? Yeah. So, I mean, in our heads, it seemed like a perfect plan and we're pushing around again. I didn't really know what I was doing, but it felt right at the time. And so I'm hiking through this hellish Canyon. Um, I've got, uh, Tim about 50 yards on my right, or I assume he is. And I come up cause I got to rejoin up on the top of this Ridge. And I mean, <sighs> I feel like anybody who's experienced this will know what I'm talking about, but I bumped an elk, like a bull elk in its bed. And I felt it in my chest and in my feet before I heard it. And certainly before I saw it, this thing got up and like the, the only way I have been describing it to friends and family is it was like a freight train, like the, just the sheer power of this thing was absolutely incredible. Bumped it probably 20, 30 yards away from it. And it just starts screaming down this valley. <laughs> and I remember the first thing that went through my head was, this is going to fucking kill Tim. Like Tim, it's going to hit Tim without <laughs> a doubt. <laughs> so I, I started Tim. peeling down. I, I might've been yelling. I was like, damn, Tim. <laughs> and uh, rejoined with Tim. You didn't see the elk though, right? Like, I, so I never saw it. I, where I was, it was, I probably had five to 10 yards of visibility. And I just heard, I heard this thing crashing through the woods towards me. And same thing. Like I felt the ground shaking and I just heard like trees snapping in half as something was coming towards me in the woods. Yeah. And that's a terrifying feeling when you have no idea. And like at any point in time, something's going to pop out of you. It sounded, it sounded like something was on horseback chasing yeah. me down. Yeah. And yeah. I was, I was shaking. I mean, finally, when I met up with John, like I was still shaking. Like, I don't know what, and he's like, it was a massive bull elk. Like you should have seen it. And I was like, it probably got within 10 meters of me. Never saw it, but I felt it. Yeah. Unpassable. It was that insane. Is one of the coolest wildlife encounters I've ever had. That's insane. Um, That's freaking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and shortly afterwards, Tim and I, you know, feeling, feeling like, you know, a bit shake, shaken up, but like, you know, 
the adrenaline is pumping, we're like, okay, let's continue this, this drive. I mean, we assumed at that point that, um, you know, anything that we were going to be trying to, to push had already been pushed and, and right. like this whole strategy was blown, but we decided to continue our route, um, and circle back up to, to y'all, uh, overlooking the Ridge. And so, you know, we keep hiking through and again, this is just one of those experiences that, that you can't fully describe to someone else, uh, until you've lived it, like how truly incredible it is, but we are, we're walking up to this, this clearing. It's about the last clearing before we, we reach, uh, your guys location. And, oh man, it's, it's, it's hard to describe, but we, we come up over this clearing and it's almost like a sixth sense. And I do believe that human beings have this innate sense, um, we were all, you know, we're all the, the sons and daughters of, of successful hunters. And I do believe there is a biological memory there. And I kind of feel this like out of the periphery of my right eye, something's on the other end of this clearing. And I'm leading the hike up to the top of this crest. And I look and I just lock eyes about 60 yards with a 10 point mule deer like a true forest giant, just looking at me frozen as a statue. And I also am frozen as a statue, but I'm in the plain open. Like I have no cover at all. So I like, I got my backhand behind me and I just kind of motioned to Tim, like, holy shit, dude. So he kneels down, he's still in cover. And at this point, you know, again, as a inexperienced hunter, I don't know how to play this. So I did what my instincts told me to do, which was to slowly kind of kneel down, try to melt into this bit of pine that was to my left. Um, and, you know, the, the, the big problem was like I, I knew what I had to do to put this deer down and it was well within shooting range, but it was kind of below a... a the clearing was up on a rise. We came up to it and it was also, uh, in a, a sort of, uh, it was below the, 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 the subsequent rise of this clearing. So I only had a look from the neck up and uh, again, maybe call this inexperience. Um, but I assumed there's no shot there. Um, and you know, even looking back on it, 2020 vision, I don't think I would play that differently. I don't see myself from a fully elevated standing position with no support or rest. I'm not confident making a shot um, at, a, at, at a deer's neck. So I kind of try to melt into this pine so that I can get up on a, one of the bows and, and secure my rifle. But, you know, I think the rest of the story tells itself. That amount of movement spooked the animal. But my God, what an incredible interaction. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe there are things that I would do differently, but man, I wouldn't wouldn't trade that for the world. Like that was just an incredible interaction. And for me, that's kind of where like, I think that's the first time that I said like 5% better because after we had spooked that elk, I was like, I had completely taken myself mentally out of the hunt. I was like, all right, we're going to link back up with Colin Carter. We're going to formulate a game plan and figure out like what we want to do next. I was not in hunt mindset, which is a huge mistake. And 
it's it's a lesson that I'm learned and I'm going to take forward basically throughout every single hunt that I do that from the second you leave the truck, the hunt is on until the second you get back from the truck. Um, because this mule deer heard this elk ripping through the trees and did nothing about it. And I'm thinking like, it's over. Everything in this, in this valley is gone. Let's link back up and formulate a game plan. And I was so incredibly wrong. Um, I saw John freeze, saw the, saw the buck. And I was like, I'm not like absolutely prepared to do anything about this. Um, same, I mean, it was the same profile I saw from the neck up. Um, any shot that I would have, that I personally would have had would have been a very stupid shot to take for like half a second. I was like, I'm going to shoot this thing, but I'm going to put a 300 wind mag, 300 wind mag bullet within six inches of John's shoulder. <laughs> and there's no deer on earth worth like two very relatively inexperienced hunters. Like, Oh, like stand five yards in front of me. I'm going to take this shot. It's going to work out great. There's probably a 2% chance of it going the way I want to. And then there's a 55 to 70% chance that we're life lighting John out of these mountains. Um, and well, that's a, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, that's a, that in of itself. I mean, the lesson obviously about, about hunting out, I think we've all made that mistake. I know I have, you know, something goes wrong or you just like, like, Oh, I'm done. And then like, you just check out. And then that's usually when you see, you see something, but mm-hmm. you know how, especially when you're hunting with a partner, you know, it's how you guys are moving and your positioning is important, right? Because you don't want to be masking somebody else's, you know, ability to shoot. And so if you guys, you know, need to have certain spacing, you can be offset like to a point to where you're not blocking each other. Um, and that's like hunting with a partner is a whole nother dynamic. And then like, if it's a, somebody you don't know that well, or haven't hunted a lot with, it's even harder. Like my cousin Perry and I, <clears throat> I say my cousin Perry, like everybody doesn't know who fucking Perry is, but, uh, when we were hunting antelope, it was refreshing because the past couple of years I've done a lot of hunting and then the last two years that hunting out West has been with people that's like my first time hunting with them. And like Perry and I have known each other like literally since I was born, he's older than I am. And like, if I stop moving, he stops moving. Like we just know, like there's just innate, I can read his body language and, and he knows. And like, when you get to that level with the hunting partner, it does, it makes life so easy. Um, so easy. So yeah, just, and then you guys can have that conversation. And that's something I started doing is like, uh, I pulled in when I was hunting, my buddy John was with me. I just like, before we went out, I told him like, Hey, if I stop, you stop, uh, you stay here. Like this is your position. And like, you guys can work that out. Like a, almost like a playbook to where you're talking about, like, cause we don't think about that until you're in the moment. Like what are our n- nonverbal si- signals? Right. Um, cause that's important. And like, what's the body language signals? Like if I stop to glass, like, are you stopping the glass? Like that sort of thing. And like, when you have an animal, and you're, you're glassing, like we were doing, me, Perry and I were like doing handoffs, like, all right, I'm on him. Hey, you're on him. Now I'm dropping the rest of my arms. And like, like little things like that are just stuff that I never really thought about. And probably now kind of take for granted, but it just kind of made me think of that, uh, Tim. Yeah. One thing, uh, kind of going back to that, that story, you know, Tim was telling, um, the, the whole 5% better. And, and also, uh, we're always hunting, you know, even though you may have spooked something or, or you're just kind of wanting to give up, but you're, you're always hunting. And, and for me, uh, after we went through this whole situation with, with John seeing the, that big mule deer and, and, uh, 
you know, uh, spooking it. And then obviously it, it, it jumped away for a little bit. They were coming back up to where Carter and I were glassing. And where we were glassing uh, in this open field, that mule deer was sitting right on the edge. And so I think something that Tim said, I mean, you're always hunting. And I'll tell you, when I was sitting up there, we weren't seeing anything. I think Carter asked for ibuprofen and I was just making too much noise. Like yeah, we were kind of dicking pack. around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there's no doubt that we, we just, I, I was not in the zone. Um, and, and I think part of me was just like, you know, there's nothing up here. We haven't seen anything. Uh, I, I was tired, you know, (laughs) yeah, this hike is bullshit. I was just like, I didn't sign up for this hike or this camp, you know, but, uh, I did though, (laughs) but it was, man, you guys wanted the backcountry experience. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Well, that, that was for sure it, but we, we were probably no further than what, maybe 150, 200 yards away from where this deer was just chilling. If yeah, that, if that, you know, yeah. and, and and it's insane to think that we were just up there. Like, what do you want to do later? Oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? <laughs> like, you know, it, we, we just weren't there. And, uh, and so hearing about this and, and also, you know, John, you'll, you'll tell about the story uh, a little more, but uh hearing you guys say where it was and, and it's just like, you know, if that deer had just poked its head out for Carter and I to see, I mean, we would be caught so off guard. I mean, the only thing we had in our hands were our binos. Uh, if that, they were probably just tucked away and we were just kind of sitting there looking out and taking in the, the great scenery, but we would have been caught on our ass and it would have been a shit show to get our rifle, to get, get the cover off of it and, and to be ready for something. Um, so that's, that's kind of my take, uh, from this whole thing, especially as just such an amateur hunter, uh, you, you have to be so focused, uh, all the time and, and be laser on, uh, even when, you know, morale is down, you know, just keep an eye out for things. Yeah. I love that. I also like what, what Luke said about like being in tune and maybe this just comes with experience and, you know, putting those miles down, but, you know, getting in unison with your partner and really being deliberate about that. Like it's certainly not something that Tim and I talked about. I mean, I think he and I, we developed a bit of a natural cadence with one another, but like being more deliberate about your hunting partner and like having some level of coordination about how you're going to move through the bush as opposed to just winging it. Um, You know, looking back on it now, it just makes so much damn sense. But like in the moment, you're not thinking about that. So, yeah, I mean, man, talk about a takeaway. Well, I mean, with Tim and I were together, it was something that, like, I just, you know, when we sat down, I was like, okay, I'm scanning here to here. You're scanning here to here. You didn't have a rangefinder, So we sat there for five minutes and me just ranging things and giving you the, our range rings across the board. So if it was a quick shot, like, you knew had the reference points. And, like, that communication thing is just something that I I think a lot of new hunters probably don't think about. And, like, the doing that on the front end, especially with like with a partner is it's, it's huge. But I mean, like Cole, it was, when you're saying like, if a deer had come up, you guys wouldn't have had your, your rifles. It, it made me think of, I, and I, we might've t- told this story on the antelope recap, but um, when Perry and I, I know Carter's heard this story. Well, Perry's dumbass didn't bring a muzzleloader. So we were hunting with one muzzleloader and passing it back and forth. Well, we were crossing a fence and, uh, you know, packs off, we're going underneath the fence. And like, I'm standing there 
Perry's on the ground, muzzleloader's on the ground on the bipod. I'm standing up in an antelope because like there's the fence and there's like an inner visibility line and the antelope runs up on us. It was probably at like 60 yards and the muzzleloader's laying there in the dirt. And I'm like, Perry, Perry. like, fuck, like just, you know, like we, and we were switched on the whole time, but like we go to cross the fence, switched off. Like we got to get through this fence. We're not paying attention. And so then like after that, we started, I mean, I was jokingly, I called it pulling security, like in the military, but like we did, like one guy would hold the muzzleloader and scan. The other guy would go under the fence, hand the muzzleloader off, scan. And like the next guy goes under and like, we were like actually deliberately crossing because like, you never know what's going to come up. Um, but man, I mean, it's, it's so easy and it always is. It's always on that one time when you're looking down at your feet because you're getting tired and you're sucking and like, and then you look up and I mean, there's a fucking antelope it ha- or an animal. I mean, it happened to me with an antelope where I was looking at my phone. And I looked up and I was 20 feet from a, or 20 yards from a fucking uh, nice antelope bucks. So like you just, fuck, it can just happen. And I would say that's the other thing about like, this was most of ours first Western hunt. And my background is primarily whitetail deer in tree stands overlooking fields. And so you're not moving. You can hunt, you can hunt with a stranger or somebody you've never hunted with. And you're sitting right next to them in a tree stand. You can whisper to them. All your gear is sitting right there in your lap. And yeah, you can tune out, scroll on your phone, read a book. Like if you're sitting for a long time, like you're going to have a book in the stand and every couple minutes you look up and see what's going on. Um, and that's something that's completely different than what you're doing here. Like we're hiking miles and miles. You're spread out. You need to have all this communication. And that's another kind of like learning curve and another barrier to entry that John was talking about. It's like you need to, it's a different hunt. It's entirely different. The quarry might be the same, but it's unlike anything that most of us had really done multiple times. So, I mean, next season it's, if John and I are hunting, the first thing we're going to do when we get out of the truck is like, all right, like we see something from across the way, like, what are we doing? Um, and we're probably also never going to be hiking like one person right behind the other in single file line. We're going to be 10 yards apart, spread out equally moving through the bush, which is something that Cole and I did later. Um, and as lessons that we learned, we were like, Hey, let's not get behind each other. Let's hunt on either side of this ravine and let's try and get in lockstep and move at the exact same pace. So we don't bump something or we don't restrict another person's shot. Yeah. I do feel like we did get better every day, um, which is the goal of the, the entire trip. Right. Um, but we really did really quick because you have to, the desire to be successful is so strong, right? You have to learn from every interaction that you have. Um, and we did, we did get better. Um, and I know we're approaching the hour mark, but John, you want to walk us through the the final success, the the culminating saving grace that kept my headspace in the game? Yeah. So because of circumstances outside of my control, i.e. my government requiring a full laboratory COVID test before I'm allowed back in the country, I actually had to leave camp, jump in the Jeep um, and drive which is uh shut up <laughs> which Carter, is carter's gonna have to bleep that out may or windy, may not be the windy city of chicago i had to drive to illinois um <laughs> and uh so that was a real bummer and um you know i i genuinely uh 
felt like I was missing, uh, you know, every moment out there, particularly as you're getting down to the wire. Um, you know, this was the, this, the second uh, last day before we were set to head home. Uh, so, you know, I'm driving back into camp, feeling a bit dejected. Uh, it's around lunchtime, so everybody's uh, back around the campfire, hanging out at the camp. And, uh, I mean, man, this seems to be the re recurring theme. Um, you know, we're, we decide to just kind of head out. We're like, all right, like, you know, they, they had they had an interesting morning, the rest of the guys. They saw some, some interesting, uh, some spots that might have appeared to have some real buck activity. Um, so we're like, all right, let's just hop in the truck. And me, again, uh, you know, at that point, it's middle of the day. I'm already feeling like I'm out of the hunt. I hardly grabbed any of my gear. Like, and, and, and I do not say that with pride. Like the one thing that I do, that I, that I can say I did grab was my tag. Something a little back in the back of my brain said, if you're going to grab anything, grab your license. So you I did, didn't grab my binos. I mean, at that point I wasn't even hunting with my own rifle. It's another story, but, um, the ATF confiscated my rifle at the border, but you know, we'll, we'll couch that, uh, discussion. Uh, so hunting with Carter's rifle, um, and very much underprepared, but we hopped in the truck and we drove about five, 10 minutes down the road. Uh, we were heading to a, a, a spot that was a, a bit further away, but you know, we kind of came up on this rise and saw a group of, of mule deer, um, actually two different groups. Um, and we decided to sort of split up, uh, as a team we're, we're, we're glassing from the truck. And we, we realized that one of the animals in the, in the group that Carter and I were focused on, uh, was in fact a buck. Um, and you know, this is, this is where we sort of get into the, the selfless nature of, um, of Carter who, you know, even though we're similar in age, he, he truly is a, a mentor for me. And, and he's, a, a really, generous guy both with his time and his resources and obviously with his gear as well and and you know he said like this is yours man um go for it if you want it and uh blast it from the road and about three four hundred yards from us but the topography was really in our favor like the the, the only way that I've, I've been able to describe this terrain to folks is like the folds Sounds a bit macabre, but like a brain, you know, like shallow folds, rippling, uh, you know, hills. Um, and if you're viewing it and just looking at the horizon, it almost appears flat. But when you're traversing it, like you realize, like you're going up and down and up and down. So, you know, we 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 really benefited in, in that uh, in that instance from like some some great terrain. So we were able to drop immediately into one of these folds and actually circle around behind this group of animals um got within about 250 yards came up on the ridge carter laid down at a bunch of cactus um <laughs> dude i'm still pulling those out today like yeah. I, pulled, I pulled three out today still and uh ranged them realized that we could do better um decided to push the envelope a little bit drop back down circle to the next rise down and up and uh i mean again it's it's laughable even thinking about it now but like i became a bit disoriented because we're circling we do about a 90 degree turn as we're coming through this one valley and i come up on the hill 
set the set the rifle up bipod and i am looking in the complete wrong direction of these animals and carter's behind me and he goes john what are you doing it's like the, the deer are over there and at this point i'm lying in cactus too and i'm like oh god <laughs> so we they were a bit forgiving thank god because they didn't spook i mean they saw us the wind was in our favor it was brilliant i don't think they fully grasped what we were they became a bit curious but they kept kind of doing their thing ranging them at a i think about it was 187 if memory serves um but just the perfect shot wind was good set up on the bipod waited for the buck to give me a broadside and uh double lunged him um hit the front shoulder collapsed shattered the entire front shoulder which in that situation was ideal because we were on the border of public and private. So he wasn't going anywhere. Um, and uh, everything went as planned. Gave the animal a few minutes. Um, the rest of the guys, both Cole and Tim actually watched the whole uh, interaction happen, um, which was very cool. And uh, they came up, gave me a few minutes with the animal and uh, we got to work, but man, it, you know, everything, fell into place perfectly. And uh, yeah, I'm very happy with how that turned out. Yeah, me too, man. It, it worked out unbelievably well. It was a, uh, from start to finish, from spotting the animal from the road all the way to, you know, gutting it in the field. Um, everything went right. Yeah, even though when we got out of the truck, I was like, where are your, where are your binos? And you're like, they're at camp. I was like, John, what the fuck? <laughs> and I was like, this is going to be a disaster. Yeah. Carter but, is so much nicer than I am. I would have told you to get the fuck back in the truck. John, uh, Luke doesn't want you to know that he left his tag at camp twice last year. So. Uh, I was a bag of ass last year. I had no, like, <laughs> I was so used to having digital tags on my phone and like hunting out West was just throwing me off. And so this year I have like a little like velcro wallet tag holder thing that'll go around my neck or go in my bag and i own like i everything's in my pack all the time like i was very organized this year carter got the award for the most fucked up camp life gypsy camp all over the place <laughs> left his gym bat or his duffel bag open in the rainstorm <laughs> day one. <laughs> oh the very, man the very first morning and i'm i'm glad it worked out at the end of the trip but the very first morning we're like ripping towards this new spot and the guy that we're in camp with he's he's passing us on the road and he's like hey just a reminder everyone's got their tags signed right and carter's like yeah i got mine signed cole's like ah, i don't have mine signed i said yeah i got mine signed and john like a kid who's telling his dad that he forgot his cleats at soccer practice is like my tag's back at the camp <laughs> <laughs> so like first morning we have to whip back to camp and go get the tags so i'm glad that when it finally came time you're like all right i gotta get i have to get my tag that's the most important thing which is again i mean lessons learned but it was yeah my tags back at camp yeah yeah we got better every day five percent better that's right yeah 100 <laughs> that's right now that was a saving grace to that trip man that was that was awesome that was so cool and then yep. uh, got it, yep. got it broken down, and got it back to camp. And then everybody in camp kind of jumped in and helped start and break it down. And it was 
it was really good for my for my soul and my headspace where I was at. So I, I wanted to mention that that too. And you know, it was a, a pretty profound moment for me. Like it it was unexpected, but you know, looking back on it, man, I, I think it was just I feel like that scene has been recreated um, throughout history. And the scene was that, you know, we return with this animal um, and, you know, I'm, I got blood up to both elbows on both hands. And, you know, I jump out of the truck, hold my hands up and the rest of the hunt camp can see that we were successful just through that gesture. And without like a word really being spoken, um, like a half a dozen guys got up, got a tarp and pulled their knives out. And, you know, before I knew it, like there was a team of up to that point, you know, up until a few days prior, complete strangers who were helping me break down this animal. And it was just like, it was pretty profound, man. And like, not to get into, you know, philosophizing or any of this kind of stuff, but like, man, it was cool. Like on a pretty deep level, just to see a, a group of guys coming together. And I realized like, this was, the, this is the most ancient thing in the world. Like this is, this is heavy. Um, but it's, Man, like I, that to me was a big takeaway and I felt it. And uh, I feel like it wasn't it wasn't even a question for those guys. You know, it's like, this is what we do, like at Hunt Camp. And uh, that was one of those moments that I'll just kind of keep, you know, about the trip and, and about, you know, uh, you know, one of my first, you know, major successes in hunting. Um, so, yeah, it was a good camp. Yeah, you coming back with that with that deer and like they definitely I know Carter you said it, it helped my headspace, like being able to pull the knife out, like get to work, start peeling this hide off, like it was good for me because I was in not in a good spot at that point. I was right literally like an hour and a half before I fucking wounded the antelope. So it was uh it was good. I think it was good for everybody, man. And it was it was definitely cool to see because it was it was there's some some cool people, like guys that you'd otherwise never meet in this camp. I mean, just I mean, you folks, I mean obviously I've I met Cole via the social medias and Tim, I met in person a few times, but, um, you know, John, you like up in Canada, when would our you know, paths ever cross and it's hunting, like brings folks together. And then we have, you know, the next level of that was like using social media for a good thing with networking and being able to grow the community. It's, it's pretty cool. And I think that that has been a driving force behind, um, HLE and everything that I'm doing is the community and the camaraderie. Like hunting, I do when I'm physically actually in the act of hunting, I like being alone a lot of times. Sometimes I'll, I want to be with a partner, but most of the time I like doing it on my own. But like going back to a camp where it's just yourself day in and day out is not that much fun. It's, it's fun for like two days, like when I was there for two days, but like by the time of that end of that two days, like I was like, I need the boys to get here. I'm going a little stir crazy in this fucking U-Haul truck, like the wind whipping on it. Yeah, so no, the the camaraderie in the in the camp is what makes hunting hunting to me, and I think just what you were saying, like it is ancestral. I think that there's something about, and it's not just men, but I think, I mean, historically speaking, like the men, you know, are the hunters in most uh, societies, not all, but but most. And so I think there is like a evolutionary thing there to where we feel this need and this bond within that within the camp like you're, you kill an animal you break down an animal you struggle on the mountain like all that stuff and it's it, it is it's, it's deep and it is profound yeah absolutely it's such a hunting is such a social activity for me i don't like doing it by myself 
Uh, I just enjoy being with other people when I do it. I like enjoying and partaking in other people's success and, you know, having you guys there for my failure was probably (laughs) really good. uh, All things considered, Um, you know, helping me search for my deer and like all like this. It's just so good. It's so healthy. I feel so fulfilled after these trips. Um, Yeah, it's just like it's the greatest thing in the world. Looking forward to the next one. Yeah, where are we going next? That's the big question. Luke won't be here next year. Nope. No, I will not, which fucking sucks. And it's eating hey, me you're, you're still going to be hunting somewhere. I just got my fucking training schedule for when we're over in Europe, and I may not be hunting at all. Mm, damn. <laughs> That's too bad. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But, uh, yeah, I'll try to – I mean – Get a weekend here or there. I'll go spend too much money to go kill a fallow deer or some shit. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got a short list going. We can talk offline and or, th- or throw a dart at a map and figure it out, boys. Let's do it. Next one for me is I'm flying down to Texas uh, on Wednesday. To, this year it's doe only, but it's the Texas camp that I hunted last year um, where I shot the the little eight-pointer because I didn't realize the caliber. I didn't, I didn't know what I was going into. And then, you know, there's some fucking – 210 inch deer killed in that camp so uh but this year they're, they're they had a lower tag so the tags are going to the leaseholders but going to kill does and pigs and link up with caleb so that should be a good time and then later on in the season carter's coming down to to the cabin that all the listeners have heard a lot about with perry and evan and i we've got a whole hle team trip out there so we got a, a lot more hunting to go and then you, you georgia boys have or you southern boys, I guess, east on the east coast have a lot of fucking hunting left. So that's yeah, the hopefully Cole will get down here in the next couple of weeks and we'll get after it. I, I was just gonna say, right after we uh we get our house settled and everything and I can find all my gear once more. It's uh it's scattered between I think three different states and, and Lord knows how many pods, but uh <laughs> once once we get it all together, yeah. I I just need to hop over the border there, get into Georgia and we can start uh, get into the white tail, hopefully uh, catch the tail end of the rut, uh, and then going into December. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We'll get after it. White tail uh, rifle season started this weekend in uh, in eastern Canada, in Ontario. And uh, a lot of folks have been telling me the rut hasn't started yet. It's been too warm. Like, it's been very warm, unseasonably warm. Um, not a lot of activity. And uh, But I'm hoping that I can get one with the bow at the end of the month. I've got a mule deer. The freezer's already full, so like I'm I'm already laughing. But uh I've got a I've got a, a white tail tag. I'm gonna head up north and uh, try to get it done with the bow, round out the season. So Tim, you got any hunting left this season? I might. So the so here in Jackson the elk refuge opens up for kind of like unit hunts. I think you can apply for a unit hunt in the next couple weeks. Um, so it's uh, late November, early December um, cow elk tag in the refuge. And if I play my cards right, I can officially apply for Wyoming residents and then draw one of these tags. Um, so if everything works out, my hunt won't be over yet. Um, but a couple things have to happen between now and then. But if everything goes well, I might be able to still get a cow elk in the freezer. 
Well, before we get out of here, before we wrap it up, uh, I'd love to hear from you all three, your favorite part of the trip, most rewarding part of the trip, what surprised you the most, or if you have any takeaways from your first kind of Western trip. Sorry to put you on the spot, but we haven't really debriefed this whole trip, you know, all together. This is kind of nice to be able to do this. I mean, over and above what I've said, like, you know, I, I think the guys are kind of coalescing around some key points, right? Like you're always in the hunt, always in the fight. Um, margin for error is so small. So go easy on yourself when you make those mistakes. Um, always be prepared, like bring your gear. Um, I mean, these sounds these sound like trite, like it sounds kind of funny, but in the moment, especially when you're hiking your ass off and you, you've got weather coming in, you start to make these mistakes, but you got to stay diligent, you know, come up with a plan with your partner, be deliberate about what you're doing in the bush. Um, and yeah, man, keep a positive attitude. I don't know. Maybe that's sounds kind of cheesy, but you know, it'll keep you showing up, which I think for me has been the most important thing, not getting discouraged. Um, and you know, season after season of getting my ass kicked, um, and eating tag soup, you know, spending tens of hours, you know, I, I, I spent over a hundred and 35 hours in a tree stand this season um, without turning up uh, a successful hunt, you know, 17 hour day sitting in a tree stand um, and didn't fill a tag. And this trip for me was, you know, sort of confluence of a lot of different events, but, you know, the main one being just perseverance, like, you know, sticking with it. Um, and it's helpful to have good hunting buddies around, that'll push you. And, uh, I felt that in spades on this one. So. Yeah. I think one of the, the last takeaways on, on this whole thing, well, it's not really a takeaway, but it's, it's honestly my favorite part. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about this whole 5% better, you know, what, what can we do better? And, uh, just going in day in and day out, taking our lessons learned and, and talking within camp, you know, but between us and, and to include Jake and some other folk, um, you know, Tim and I on that last day, Tuesday was supposed to be a rainy day. And, and that was also the day we were heading out. But uh, I I told Tim, I, I was like, I got to get out there one more time. I said, I really have to push this. I got to get out there. And, and luckily the rain held off. But, uh, you know, we brought our rain gear just in case I was prepared just to have such a crappy morning. Uh, but we went out that morning and, and we took everything. It was kind of like the culmination of everything we've been talking about. And, and talking about being 5% better and taking what we've learned. And we took those, those points and we really put them to use uh, on our last day. And, uh, and, and it was honestly probably my favorite part was just sitting on the side of this hill, waiting for the deer to come in from this ag field. And the sun is barely just like cresting over the mountaintop. You know, you can see the stars. I saw a shooting star, which I just, I, I don't get that in the big city here. You know, and, and so that was cool. But uh, the amount of elk that were bugling in that ag field just had us cheesing from ear to ear. And, and you know, even though we're kind of sitting there, we're tired. Our boots are still a little wet from that rain a couple of days before. You know, clothes are still a little damp and, and we're just getting a little chilly with the wind in our face. But hearing those elk bugle, I mean, man, I've, I've never heard that in person. And uh, it, that that was probably my favorite part 
was just sitting there and I knew Tim was smiling because we were texting about it. We were just like, oh man, do you hear this? Like, this is the, the coolest thing ever. But uh, to take everything we learned to sit there and, and even though we didn't see anything besides some white butts towards the end, which we, we accidentally bumped uh, onto private land. I mean, that, that was just awesome. Awesome to hear those elk in that ag field. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty that's... spectacular scenario. Oh, for sure. It was, I mean, that's the first time I've heard elk bugle in person. And I mean, that's, that's what it's, that's what it's all about. Even though those weren't our particular quarry, like you're in the mix, like you're right there. Like you are where wilderness and wild things happen. Um, and yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible hearing those. And not to mention, uh, we're doing about 60 on these back roads before the sun came up and almost smacked a bull elk on broadside. I was crossing the road. Like I slammed on the brakes and like a worried mother, I put my hand across onto Tim's <laughs> chest and I'm like, I'm just like, ah, you know, we're, we're hitting the brakes. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Tim. He's like, no, it's fine. <laughs> but we, we got to see this bull elk probably for like 30 seconds, maybe just looking at us. Uh, but we were just like, man, that, that thing is sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't see that every day for sure. Were you guys closer to hitting it than I was that fucking doe? <laughs> Cole, Cole had time to stop. You had to actually swerve. So I'd say I'd say we were closer, Luke. I was going fast because I was trying <laughs> to get to this piece of public before we lost shooting light. I was probably going seventy on this fucking road. And the whole time, you know, Tim and I are looking at deer on the side of the road as we're rolling. And we're both looking out the window on the uh, passenger side. Tim happens to look out the front windshield and is like, deer, deer, deer in front of us. <laughs> and I didn't have time to even stop. I had to swerve into the other lane and go around her. Uh, and she was just stopped standing, staring right at us, didn't move at all. It would have been bad. Would've I could have, have smacked that thing in the ass. Yeah, we were close. <laughs> the only time I've been closer to hitting it, Dear than that, I actually hit the fucker. So, yeah, that actually reminds me. I, I think I'll say my my uh, my new takeaway. Uh, scratch everything I said before. Is uh, <laughs> figure out when you're stateside or you're traveling international. Figure out the conversion of the speed limit because I did not know the kilometer to miles per hour speed limit. And I remember showing up to the hunt camp, and they're like, "Damn, dude, like you made good time." And I'm like, "I was driving 101 miles per hour. Is that fast?" And <laughs> apparently, that's fast. So. Anyway, yeah. especially in a Jeep Wrangler, man, that's yeah, really shaking like a leaf. Like the the Jeep is shaking like a daggum tank, and you're like, "Oh, is that fast?" We're like, "Yeah, John, that's a little fast, man." Time traveling. <laughs> Time traveling. Oh. What about you, Tim? What's your favorite part? So I mean, it's it's difficult to beat just like being in deer camp for five days, um, just because I mean, everyone like John was saying, everyone's like there with particular goal in mind but like they want your success as much or more like for you than you do um it's very selfless it's very like all right like as a team how can we get this done um but more specific like that day that we were up in those unspecified mountains like that was that was the quintessential quintessential backcountry hunt that we were after and yeah we didn't spike camp like we got rained out we all came up skunked, but like that was, that was pretty incredible. And that's probably the one, like if I'm going to remember one day from the whole experience, like that's going to be the day because it was the 
hardest day. It was the most hellish day. It was pouring down rain towards the end of it, but we had some pretty amazing wildlife encounters and it was, it was great. It was a difficult, difficult hunt, difficult hike, and it made it all worth it. So I want to give a little bit of this background on this quintessential backcountry hunt thing to close us up here. So Carter and I was actually on a pod episode. We were talking and we were going to do a U-Haul and we decided we were going to do this U-Haul trailer and this whole thing. It was actually really affordable. It was like 200 bucks for the week, 26 foot box truck. We're going to a mobile cabin. It was going to be badass. Well, these fucking boys decide they want to have this quintessential backcountry hunt. Backcountry were camped a hundred, a hundred meters from the fucking road, which is fine. I mean, whatever we'll, we'll do, you know, do whatever. Well, then Tim pulls up with a full size fucking propane grill in the back of his truck, which that just, I just lost it. That was the funniest fucking thing. Just quintessential backcountry right there. Full size grill. Tim doesn't Tim. We ate well. This man takes care of his friends. Oh, it was a great camp, but it was not a quintessential backcountry camp. (laughs) That was not. It was a full size grill, probably like three coolers loaded down with food. We had the Shangri-La of tents that we could all stand up in, but it was fantastic. There, when it's when it's pouring down rain, you have six inches of mud outside. It's like spike camping is just not going to cut it. We we would have wrapped that tent up and been headed back to Denver if it wasn't for <laughs> a couple creature comforts. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And I know I said we were wrapping this up, but we're going a little long. But a lot of guys do get in their head this idea and this like pristine. I know for me that was kind of my you know idea of western hunting was everything's on your back it's all backpack hunting and like backpack hunting's fine but like one there's very few people that actually truly backpack hunt out here uh the ones that do usually come back within like two days and like backpack hunting's pretty fucking hard it's like the hardest hunt um and guys just kind of want to go straight to that and it's not exactly necessary either in most cases uh you can you can do a lot of you can get pretty far in a day i mean i Antelope hunting, I walked 23 miles with Perry. I've, I've habitually walked 15 miles. Like, you can cover some serious ground in a day and not need to actually get out there and spike camp. I've also spike camped and done a lot of that. And that's it's fun, but it's just a different level of – and I think we do tend to get an idea. And that's what I realized is, like, I showed up to my first – hunt my buddy was gonna sleep in the truck we were gonna hunt from the truck and i showed up with my camp on my back and was like oh fuck i have no creature comforts i literally packed to live out of my bag and i was like this is fucking stupid like and so that's why this season i i went all out and had a cot and a heater and everything else it was nice because it does it is nice to come back to a camp and when it's pouring rain and it's fucking cold and then we had a fire this year which we're still not sure was legal or not but it was nice that was huge Having that fire was huge. huge. That was Big probably my, my my favorite my favorite part of the entire the hunt was tearing into that bourbon around that campfire and watching Tim and John have a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. Fantastic. For the, for the first time, I wasn't the drunkest one in camp. Surprised us all. Oh, the old man. Irish goodbye never fails. Never fails. <laughs> Tim just disappeared. Yeah. We looked around. We said, where's Tim? And Carter was like, the old Irish goodbye. And let alone poke our head in the tent. There he is just cuddled up, man, just passed out. Ever since we lived together in, in college, that's, that's his move. Oh, damn. What about you, Carter? Why don't you, you give us the 
big concluder here with what your uh, kind of takeaway from camp was? I mean, like I said, like it's such a social thing for me. I just am so happy that we could draw these tags and that we could all go together and like from varying backgrounds and, and uh, you know, skill levels. And I love that it was a first for the three of y'all because I had, I've had such amazing experiences out there and I just want to share that. Um, which is probably to our detriment, right? If we keep telling everybody to go hunt out West, it's just going to make finding those mule deer a little more difficult, but um, man, just sharing that is just, I, I just am totally in love with and, and enamored with the West. So just being able to do that with you guys was amazing. Um, and after, after two weeks of running that, you know, wounding that buck in my head, 24 seven on a loop after two weeks, I've given myself a little bit of slack and, I just, I would go back tomorrow if we could, you know, can't wait to do it again. Oh shit guys. Well, I appreciate the hell out of you guys coming on. Uh, this was, this was fun. It was cool to kind of recap all this, uh, especially through this platform. Um, it's it cool to, to touch base again. And I definitely hope to share a camp with you guys in the future. We, we need to do uh, more hunts, especially maybe not next season, but the season after and beyond. Cause it was a, it was a hell of a time. Definitely, I think we need to go ahead and spring the money for some fucking private land. But yeah, I'm in for that for sure. Let's do it. Yeah, well, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Um, if you guys haven't checked it out, go ahead and check out all the new merch we've got up on the website. Uh, we have a lot now, and I don't even really know when this one's going to be dropping, so I'll probably have to do an insert plug because we're really behind. But uh, we're going to shut down all shipping for. Christmas on 17 December because uh, the wife and I will be traveling. So everything will shut down on 17 December. So get your orders in before that. And I would suggest even sooner if you can, uh, just to make sure it gets in there. Uh, USPS and UPS are already experiencing delays. But yeah, as always, we appreciate the hell out of all the support. Thank you guys so much.